0: There's, there's 50-something one another's in the Bible, and this morning's one another is uh, peace. Um, to be peaceful towards one another, to have peace with one another. And uh, that word peace in the Bible is much different to our word peace, which Caleb's giving me peace signs. That's not what the Bible is suggesting, kind of a 70s peace uh, to us. The word there in the Old Testament was shalom, and it's much bigger much deeper, much broader, much more powerful, um, much more transformative than just kind of peace. Uh, And I guess as we go through this, I invite you to kind of lean in as things stand out to you. I'm told I have 36 slides. I don't know if I'll go through all of them, but the point is we're obviously going to move very quickly. Um, So Dr. Kevin Timmer says, uh, Shalom, and I'll just keep referring to it often as Shalom, um, that's kind of the, Bibli- the Old Testament biblical word for peace. Shalom is a condition in which everyone and everything is in right relationship all the time. When shalom is the order of the day, human and non-human creation are enabled to flourish by becoming everything God created them to be. It won't be a surprise to you that Dr. Kevin Timmer is an engineer. But let me just read that again, because it's, it's a powerful uh, statement of what shalom is, what peace is. When, when uh, God calls us to have a posture of peace towards one another, shalom is a condition in which everyone and everything is in right relationship all the time. When shalom is the order of the day, human and non-human creation are enabled to flourish. That's what we're about, the flourishing of humanity and creation, by becoming everything God created them to be. Uh, theologian Cornelius Plantinga says it uh, quite simply, Shalom is the way things ought to be. Uh, everything that's not as it should be is because of the absence of peace. Wherever you find something as it should be, you will find peace. So peace, if you, don't, if you can't really figure out what peace is, go find something being as it ought to be, and there you will also feel, experience, know what peace is like. If you want to know what peace is not like, what, what's it like to have peace disrupted, go find anything in your relationship, any part of creation, anything at work, anything in your home, anything in the church, where, where, where there's disruption, and you will find that peace is lacking. And God calls us to be uh, people of peace. And so that should, you, you know, hopefully in the church right now, there's not uh, a whole bunch of non peace. So our story today. Uh, so so shalom is a state in which humans flourish. That's important because the whole world. As you'd know, if you listen to uh, podcasts and read the news, and uh, the whole world is trying to figure out how do we make humanity flourish. And uh, shalom is the state in which humanity flourishes. Uh, Shalom is being right in right relationship with God and everything that happens from that point. You can't get to shalom uh, any other way. You You get to shalom, the deep and profound peace where humanity and creation flourishes through relationship with God. And uh, we can try and create peace in other ways, but it won't be lasting, or it won't be deep, or it won't be profound. But through relationship with God, true uh, shalom comes. Um, and then also there's a call that in relationship with God, true p- shalom should come. In other words, it, it, it ought to be something from our lives that uh, increases the peace. So look at, looking at three things today. Losing shalom, finding shalom, and making shalom. All right, so losing shalom... Our peace uh, is disrupted. Every single day, peace gets dis- disrupted. And I'm just going to, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, just give a few case studies, like examples of maybe things that you, someone you know may experience peace being disrupted like that. You, you, I'm going to do it on an individual level. You can really do this on, on, on a national level, on a corporate level, on a church level. On a, you know what I mean? Like, so, but we're just going to look at, at an individual level. Um, and then at the end, we'll kind of answer these problems. So, worrying William. The trains and buses are running late this morning, and it's going to make him late for his meeting. He worries about what information he will miss, as well as what people will think of him. Worry and, anxiety and anxious thoughts have worn him down. He's mentally exhausted and stressed, and the day hasn't even begun. Lonely Lucy. Lucy has moved to Perth for a job. She was originally excited by the opportunity, but now she misses her family and friends. She feels sad whenever she hears about what her family and friends are doing back home. Her feelings of isolation increase as she realizes that she doesn't have any of her own stories to share. Lucy feels empty. Anxious Arnold. Arnold runs... Uh, I was trying my hardest to not pick names of people in the church. And... <laughs> As your church grows and increases in diversity, it gets hard. So Arnie got in. Arnold runs a construction company. Uh, Work picked up after the pandemic. However, they have no new jobs lined up. The current work will keep them busy for a few months, but if the construction slows down, Arnold will possibly have to close the business. Jack struggles, sorry, Arnold struggles to sleep at night. As he wrestles, I realize we have a jack. As he realises, as, uh, as he wrestles with the uncertainty, the stress is causing him to be impatient with his wife and children. Strain on the Smiths. Tyler and Ray are struggling with the increased cost of living. Things have been tight for their young family, but now, with the begin, uh, now they are beginning to fall behind. They can't even afford for their kids to go to birthday parties or to join their friends for dinner. Under the weight of financial strain, they are losing their joy in life. Tyler and lifetime and can't remember the last time they laughed together. Press down Pam is struggling under the weight of academic expectation. She chose her degree, but the pressure to perform is slowly crushing her. She worries about failing and the disappointment it will cause her family. She also worries about uh, what she will do if she fails. Study demands and her own expectations are draining the life out of her. And lastly, uh, Bo and Bip are high school students. (laughs) Uh, Both suffer from social anxiety, which is nothing more than they worry that they won't be accepted and have friends through high school. They never feel like they can relax and be themselves. They feel as if they are always wearing a mask and trying to be liked. Now neither one of them know if they have real friends or not. So remember, shalom is the way things ought to be, as Platinga said. And uh, we're looking at how often shalom gets disrupted every day of our lives. Most of us would have arrived with today's story or yesterday's story or this week's story of how at some point shalom was disrupted, um, I'm sure. Uh, And so we're looking at shalom lost. Adam and Eve uh, didn't live in Perth. They lived in a garden called Eden in the book of Genesis, right at the beginning of your Bible. And uh, Adam and Eve knew Shalom. They knew perfect relationship with God. They knew perfect relationship with one another. They knew perfect relationship with themselves. When they looked into the mirror of the lake, uh, they loved what they saw. And they also enjoyed perfect relationship with creation. Um, And then in a terrible and tragic scene, that the writer of Genesis gives us, Adam and Eve reject God uh, and His shalom, His way, and they bring sin into the garden. The rejection of God is their sin. They bring that into the garden, and the thing that is disrupted, the thing that is shattered, the thing that is violated, is peace. And as God comes back into the garden, the way that they experience that is that they don't want to be seen by God. They hide. They hide from each other, they don't want to, uh, Adam doesn't want Eve to see his nakedness. He covers himself. Eve doesn't want Adam to see her nakedness. She covers herself. They hide uh, from God. Think that They kind of play there like, um, it's not hide and seek. It's not a fun game. But they think that standing behind a tree or a bush uh, can keep them from His presence. Uh, and God comes in. And this terrible, awful disruption of this loving and wonderful God comes in. And because of their rejection of God and His ways, and because Shalom has been broken, as much as they might like to go into His presence, they don't feel as, they can, as though they can. The shame and the guilt of what they've done uh, crushes them. They know that they've disrupted and violated Shalom, um, and they hide from Him. And God even says, why have you hidden from Him? Not because He doesn't know, but because He's drawing out of them their reasons for disruption. He needs them to hear themselves say, and when you listen to their arguments, you see how Shalom has been broken, not just in their relationship with God. That was the first thing that was broken. Maybe also in uh, their relationship with creation. Eve says, or uh, the serpent, the, the created thing, as if creation was over uh, Adam and Eve, as if nature should be dominating uh, or telling you how to live your lives. And, we, and that's something we really need to hear in Perth, because we have a beautiful city where uh, we are told uh, all the time about how nature should be dominating our rest, or our weekends, or our pleasure times. Uh, instead of, well, what does God have for your life? right? What is God's will and call on your life? Um, and then uh, Adam throws Eve under the bus, the woman you gave me. It's God's problem. It's Eve's problem. There's shalom broken, the disruption of relationship. That's not when relationship is broken. That's the evidence of relationship being broken. Themselves, we've already seen that. They're covered up. They're in shame. They're guilt. They're hiding. Everything is broken. Their relationship with God, their relationship with each other, their relationship with themselves, their relationship with creation, it's broken. And God uh, affirms that and says... Yeah, you know, from now on the work, your work's going to be hard through toil. Things are going to come up out of the ground, so your relationship with the, with creation's broken. But God um, is a God of peace, not a God of war. And so he wants to get things back to how they ought to be. Here's the mercy of God is that if God had no plan to get things to how they ought to be, God would have just annihilated everything. That's the that's great... Why didn't God just end everything right then? Why didn't God just go, this was a silly project, I'm ending it? Because he had, he had a plan. And He started speaking in Genesis 3 about the man of peace that He was going to send to bring things back to the way things ought to be. And we've sung about that this morning. So, so um, He says, this, your son, uh, your descendant, will crush the head of the serpent. And this is this great picture of, yes, sinners come. Yes, you have rejected me, uh, but I'm going to send one who's going to crush that, who's going to turn things back to how they ought to be, who's going to end that and bring peace in shalom. Um, Isaiah prophesies about God's peacemaker. He says, uh, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And listen to this. And the government uh, shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end that word there peace is the word shalom Uh, there will be no end what an interesting child to us a child is born, to king's cross many children have been born but to none of them have we ever had the hope that we would be able to call any of them wonderful counselor mighty God Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What an unusual and wonderful uh, baby this is going to be. What a divine gift to the world. The increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. That tells us something. One thing says no one can stop this. The increase of His government. If kingdoms and kings can't stop Him, can't stand against Him, because wherever His government increases, His will is going to be done. And that's a very dangerous thing, a very scary thing, a very worrying thing. Well, what, his government's going to increase. Imagine i saying to you today, Isaiah has prophesied that of the increase of Putin's government, there will be no end. Not all of us would jump up and down with excitement and enthusiasm about that. In other words, when we hear the increase of someone's government, there will be no end. We should pause and go, well, tell us more about him because our lives are going to be very affected. And the first thing we find out is, And peace, there will be no end to it. Wherever he goes, he brings peace. How do you know the king is in town? Peace is with him. How do you know the king is in your home? There's peace. How do you know the king is reigning in our church? There is peace. How do you know the king is reigning in your heart right now? There is peace. And when that gets disrupted, we can go, hold on, hold on, God. But we're still talking about losing. So peace is very costly. God promises uh, it's going to come at a great price. And so he, he gives the Israelites this thing called a peace offering. Uh, and he explains it. You can go read about it. It's quite interesting, actually. He thinks about everyone in the camp. But he basically says, here, you can give me a peace offering. Uh, and if it's going to be a lamb or if it's going to be a goat or if it's going to be a this. Like according to your means, you can come and make peace with me. But on in every single occasion, something has to die. And God's forewarning this Prince of Peace, this wonderful God, this, uh, this deliverer, uh, is, is showing us that the peace offering is going to be greatly costly. Um, so let's turn to uh, finding shalom. Isaiah lays the path for God's peacemaker. He prophesies in the past tense, even though he's looking forward. He says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. This is hundreds of years before Jesus comes. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. I, I haven't spent too much time, I don't know if you have, thinking, can you imagine Isaiah? He's in the presence of God. God says to him, Isaiah, speak this to my people. And he starts, God starts saying this to him. <laughs> you know, I, I just imagine Isaiah would, you know, what does this even mean? He was pierced for our transgressions. What, what kind of war do you win like this, God? What kind of king uh, leads like this? What kind of shepherd saves like this? This doesn't, you know what I mean? What is the context for this? Uh, Israel's not under Roman rule. What's going on, God? He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. God's peacemaker is going to come, and He's going to be the one that suffers. He's going to be the peace offering. He's going to be the sacrificial lamb. And so we we find out that God's peacemaker is born to die, to pay this price. Paul tells the Romans, Jesus was delivered over to death for our trespasses and was raised to life for our justification. To the Corinthians, Paul writes, For what I received, I passed on to you, as of first importance. This is like a theological... If you want to be a theologian, there's first order issues, second order issues, non-issues. First order issues you cannot negotiate on. If you if you turn against a first order issue, uh, you, you're, you're, um, you're moving towards heresy. A first order issue, no negotiation. Paul goes... Here is what I gave you of first importance. There's no discussion, conversation. This is true. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. It's Him. He's the one Isaiah spoke of. He's the Prince of Peace, the wonderful God, the everlasting Father. The writer of Hebrews wants to get in on it. He writes, Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many and will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation for those who eagerly await Him. Peter jumps in too. He writes, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And Peter quotes Scripture, By His stripes we are healed. The Bible is emphatic that the prince of peace and that our peace comes through faith in Jesus. Isaiah says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Can you imagine the first century Christians who walked with Jesus, Peter and the like? They walked with Jesus. Peter writes, thinking of Isaiah, Peter quotes Isaiah. Peter has walked with Jesus. He's talked with Jesus. He's lived with Jesus, ate with Jesus, fed with Jesus argued with Jesus, disowned Jesus, been forgiven by Jesus. Peter's gone through a lot with Jesus. He knows Jesus. And when he writes his letter, he writes, thinking of Isaiah, and he quotes him, says, by his stripes we are healed. Peter's literally saying, this guy is biblical. You don't get bigger than him. I mean, can you imagine how small Peter must have felt in his internal voice? I cannot believe I turned against... The one Isaiah prophesied about. What an idiot. And it's recorded forever. I don't think Peter ever thought that because Jesus' forgiveness and restoration of him was so wonderful and they, would do it. they were so busy advancing the kingdom of God. But I'm just trying to bring it into the reality of, of life. This is Peter's guy. And, he, and the, only, the best way he can describe Jesus is to go back to Isaiah and say, we've all been waiting for this guy. That's him. It's him. He's he's the one. So how stable is this peace anyway? Because uh, in most times, how do you get to peace? How do you keep peace? How do you grow peace? It, it's not always that easy, right? Yeah, could, I mean... Unless you are just enjoying peace all the time, uh, how do you get there? And how stable is this? What is God like? Listen to what Isaiah says: The mountains may depart and the hills be removed. You know, mountains can't depart and hills can't be removed. But let's say they can. My steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be moved. Basically, he's saying. How stable is God's peace? Okay, so God makes peace with us through faith in Jesus, but how, how can we rely on that shalom? How, can, how stable is it? Because, you know, what if we mess up? What if we... And he goes, okay, well, put it like this. If uh, Mount Everest, if you could pick that up and move that, then we can get to that question. But until someone picks that up and moves it, that's not even a valid question. It's, it's more impossible than that. I mean, as I was just trying to paint this picture of God's uh, uh, peace, shalom is so stable and steadfast that questioning it has no relevance. You, just have, you can rely on it. You can just trust on it. God's called you. God's chosen you. God's known you. God's loved you. God's held you through the life and death of Jesus Christ. So how do you make shalom? If we find our peace in Jesus, how do we then go make peace? Um, peace is something that's hard for us to keep. We're unrealistic if we say, come to Jesus and the rest of your life you'll never have worries. We're unfair if we say, come to Jesus and He'll make your life better. He qualitatively will through great suffering. but. Okay, short term it's not going to be better. Long term it's gonna be way better. That's the honest truth. Yeah. Short term it's gonna probably get harder, long term you're gonna be really glad you went through that. Let's just be honest. But even if we while we have peace with God through faith in Jesus, it doesn't mean just because he's unshakable doesn't make us unshakable or immovable. We're a little bit like a reed that can be tossed to and fro by the winds of change. And our, our peace gets disrupted, and our walls get torn down. So, how do we get to this? How do we do this? If, if peace is through faith in Jesus Christ, and then if Jesus is called the Prince of Peace, then whenever anyone is lacking in peace, what do you think the answer is? That the answer is what it always is. <laughs> You get to say it this time. This time you, it's Jesus. That we have to move, somehow we have to move back into the presence of Jesus. And Somehow we have to humble ourselves and go, there's some disruption, something's wrong. I need to get back into the presence of the Prince of Peace. I need to have the Prince of Peace reigning on the throne of my heart. I need to have the Prince of Peace speaking to the thoughts of my mind. I need to have the Prince of Peace leading my feet and my hands, etc., etc., And so there's a little bit of coming back, or pointing to, or laying down. Isaiah says, um, sorry, I've already already told you that. Uh, Paul writes to the Philippians, he says, "...don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving let your requests be made known before God. And what will happen? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus." This is a wonderful promise and a not-so-great promise. I'll explain to you why now. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to, to God. Paul is being very realistic and saying, you, have go, you are going to have a lot of reasons to be anxious, to worry. Stuff's going to happen in your life, but you don't need to. What you can do is bring those things that are in your heart, on your head, in your relationships, into the presence of God, come before the Prince of Peace. Uh, He carries on. Uh, The peace of God, what's going to happen as you stand in the presence of God, what's going to happen is the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. That's the not-so-nice bit. Here's why. Because the peace of God doesn't mean the things are resolved. The peace of God coming to His presence, submitting yourself, saying, God, my heart's all over, my head's all over, uh, my relationships are all over, I don't know how to behave, what's going on, uh, I'm totally disrupted Uh, You come into the peace of God, and everything's ironed out, and you walk back out, and it's like, this is like, you know how rain follows those cartoon characters? The opposite follows. This halo of God's glory follows, and everyone is turned in favor towards you. That's not what happens. And that's why it's a peace that uh, transcends understanding. Because it's not a peace outside of difficult situations. It's a peace inside of difficult situations. It's an unwavering peace in the presence of God that makes no sense because look what's going on. And so, Christians today, in a world of war and mortgage rates going through the roof and whatever else may be landing on your plate, Christians can stand up in peace, not because we're insane or ignorant or naive but because we've been in the presence of the Prince of Peace who reigns over all and has told us how things end already and has told us our, our, uh, our play in them. Love, chosen, known. And a peace that transcends understanding or a peace outside of circumstances. Well will guard your hearts and minds. And that's the good part because it's a genuine peace. We don't have to fudge it. We're not making it up. Okay, so the Christian thing to do here is to pretend not to be worried. Right, so I, uh, I, get paid, I get paid this much, but my mortgage has now gone beyond what I get paid. But the Christian thing to do is to not get worried. Okay. All right, how are you going? Yeah, great. Hey, I mean, the mortgage, you, you bought a house recently. Are you struggling with it? No, no, we're good. God's got it. Well, nothing you're saying is untrue. God does got it. But that doesn't mean you're not going to go through a really tough time or that you're really struggling, or that you're not sleeping, or that blah, 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 blah. It's a true peace. It's a genuine peace. It's a peace we find in His presence. What about peace that's disrupted in relationships? Paul says, He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Paul is realistic. Hey, you're going to have difficulty in relationships. Maybe it's nationalities, maybe it's genders, maybe it's different personalities, maybe it's different age groups, maybe it's, who knows, there's all sorts of dividing walls in societies and as one creeps into your relationships, you can stand together and come to the Prince of Peace because He is our peace, not our agreement, not solving who's right and who's wrong. Let's say uh, Josh and I get in an argument, Josh is too godly to get in an argument, but let's say I get in an argument with Josh, that can happen. I, I, I don't know how. He, I mean, I, I don't know how it actually get him into the ring. But let's say I managed to get him into the argument. There's the way that we get through that is to bring Christ into the ring as well, and to look at him and say he is our peace. What is going on here that is not allowing him to reign? What have we put above him? Well, you know, I've put. I, I've put. Uh, your love for country music has offended me, and, um, and that's made me treat you like a, a less valuable human being, because people who listen to country music aren't as important as people who listen. I'm just trying to make up a scenario. <laughs> Everyone who listens to country music and feels looked down on, this is your moment of healing and peace. <laughs> Looking and go, Jesus is the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus has died for country-loving music people as well as whatever else. So, 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 so sorry. Sorry for putting something up above the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Uh, it just re- reveals my heart that tries to get identified in something else rather than in Jesus. Yeah. And tries to identify you in something else rather than Jesus. But when I look at you through Jesus, I see a brother that has been died for and loved and chosen and known. Please forgive me. And Josh goes, I've got a song I'd like you to listen to. (laughs) About forgiveness. And a dead dog. (laughs) What about where there's unrest, war, physical disruption, financial stress? As Isaiah says, my people will abide in peaceful habitation and secure dwellings, and in quiet restful, resting places. Doesn't that sound nice? My people will abide in peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings. No cameras needed, and in quiet resting places. That's not called death. That's not like your deathbed. That's like in quiet, restful places. When? Well, it's not all happening today. Isaiah is showing us the end from the beginning. So you go, I'm not enjoying a peaceful habitation or a secure dwelling right now or a quiet resting place. Maybe you're not entirely right now. Maybe you are having uh, physical disruptions. Maybe you are facing ailments. Maybe you are being displaced. There is a war going on. People have lost homes. Maybe you are facing monetary struggles, but those who are in Jesus have a peaceful uh, habitation in the end. Those who follow Jesus end up in a neighborhood full of joy and rest. It, it, the, the, we're on a journey, and it may be difficult, and, and really it may be, but we know what it's going to look like: a peaceful habitation, a secure dwelling place joy, and rest. And so when difficult times come and wars happen, we look to where we're going and it makes it more magnificent. Because when things are wonderful and I'm standing at Cottesloe Beach, I look at it and I think, I don't know how heaven's going to be any better. Maybe Jesus can just come and live with us here. But when I'm going through difficulty, and our, uh, I'm going to give you an example, but I realize it's like a one out of 10 on dif- the difficulty spectrum, so please don't judge me. Uh, our lease is ended because the owners want their house back, they're moving home, and I don't know where we're going to live in a month's time. I look there and I go, oh God, I can't wait. Jesus, now would be a great time to come back. Lead us into your peaceful habitation, a secure dwelling, a neighborhood of joy and rest. I'm ready to go. Now that's like a 1 out of 10. Some of you are like a seven, eight, nine out of 10 for wrestling and struggling. How wonderful and beautiful does where Jesus is taking us look. We make peace together. We bring each other back to Jesus again and again. Whenever we lack peace, in whatever way we lack peace, there is some way in which we need to be brought back to Jesus. He is the Prince of Peace. There's no other way. Well, let me say it in a more positive way. He is the Prince of Peace. He is always the way. There is no disruption that Jesus can't help you resolve. What about worrying William? Remember he worried about being late for a meeting and his reputation with his colleagues? Well, God's love and acceptance of William are not based on his punctuality. That's what we can... Hey, Will, God is not judging what time you arrive at the meeting. Knowing God's acceptance and love, William is free to accept the consequences of being late without shame, guilt, fear, anger, or embarrassment. Imagine that feeling of just remembering the Prince of Peace. Not saying be irresponsible and stupid and saying God is not judging what time you've arrived. God's future for you is not based on your punctuality. Some of us treat punctuality like it's godliness. And I'll raise my hand halfway there because I probably judge others in that way, but I'm not always punctual myself. That's why I can't go the whole way up. God's not judging that. If you have a coffee for God, with God, you've got a board meeting with God, and you're not punctual, He's not sitting there going, well, if, I mean, if five minutes earlier, you wouldn't, you would have, the plans for you would have been way better. But now the plans I have for you are good, but not as good. What a freedom and joy to know my Father in Heaven who controls my whole life ultimately and who everyone else is a puppet in His play isn't judging my punctuality. Alright guys, I'm here. Sorry I'm late. How can I help? Lonely Lucy. Remember her peace was disrupted by feeling isolated from family and friends and lonely and empty. Jesus promises to be a friend closer than a brother. To never leave Lucy alone. So Lucy can get comfort from her companionship with Jesus. She can literally go into his presence and enjoy real friendship with Jesus. Jesus can understand her isolation. He doesn't say to her, Lucy, don't you know what a great friend I am? Haven't you read Proverbs? What's your problem? He comes and he goes, I, Lucy, I get it. I get not being close to family. My father had to turn his back on me. I get not being close to friends. One of my best uh, denied me. I get that feeling of isolation. You know, mine, mine was a little bit more uh, physical, emotional, spiritual, mental, and biblically transformative for all people. But it's not dissimilar to what you're experiencing. Come on, Lucy. Come to me. Let's walk this out. And Jesus isn't a friend. Jesus is a friend a little bit like C.S. Lewis. When C.S. Lewis talks about friendship. He says friendships shouldn't be I- I- exclusive. Caleb can correct me because it's his quote of C.S. Lewis. We're going a few layers now, but I think it goes like this: C- uh, Friendship shouldn't be exclusive because as you let more and more friends in, you get to see sides of your friend that are more precious. So in other words, NASA is my best friend. But if I keep her to myself, there will be sides of her I don't see. But if I share her with other friends, and they draw other parts of her out, then I see other bits of my best friend I would have never seen before, and that's very precious. So friendship is inclusive. You add people and see what they draw out. And this is what Jesus does. He doesn't take us to himself and say, now you've got the best friend, you need nothing. He goes, now you've got me, I'll introduce you to the rest of the family. Here, join a church. Be part of community. Be known. Be loved. Walk with brothers and sisters. We'll do this together. We'll bring stuff out of each other. What about Anxious Arnold? What about Strain and the Smiths? I, I, I've done, we don't have time because of the other bits. Press Down Pam, Bip and Bo. All of these, there's ways in which we can bring people into the presence of Jesus. And as we stand in the presence of Jesus, we're freed and released from the burdens and anxieties and fears and stresses and strains that are real in this real world, but something greater speaks into our lives. A greater truth, a greater power, a greater acceptance, a greater um, uh, uh, love of God speaks in, and truth transforms us through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we're able to go into our environments or workplaces or relationships different. When you are lacking peace... What thought, thanks love, when you are lacking peace, what thought or feeling or behavior is not trusting Jesus? Just think of it right now. If you are lacking peace, what thought or feeling or behavior is not trusting Jesus? Where are you or something else controlling? When peace is disrupted in a relationship, what aspect of that relationship is not submitted to Jesus? When someone is lacking peace, how can you draw them to trust in Jesus? If someone around you is lacking peace, how can you draw them to trust in Jesus? This is so real and so practical, and I'm, and I'm going to take us to communion in just a minute. But if Jesus had, uh, we, if Jesus had this uh, unending bank account, infinity of money, Every single person you found with a need, a financial need, you'd say, "Just come with me. We'll go get it. Don't worry about it. Don't don't let that like cause you too much burden. Let's just go take that out, and then you go get what you need." Right? We have this Prince of Peace, this wonderful Counselor, this everlasting Father, this uh, Almighty God. He says, "Come to me." This infinite resource. Which means that every time we find people distressed, disrupted, not going okay, we can go, I know where to take you. I'm not sure that I have the answer for you, but I'm sure I know where you can get it. Let's go to let's go to Jesus and let's figure this one out. Peace is found in Jesus alone, because he is the wonderful Prince of Peace. And his people were invited to flourish. And become peacemakers wherever we go. One day, peace will be all that there is. And all things will be as they ought to be always.